0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode forty-two of the Two QB Experience. I am your host. My name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce, and you can find my work at Two qbscom On the line with me, special guest this episode, Josh ADHD at Fantasy ADHD on Twitter of Rotoviz Fame, Guru Elite DFS Fame, Two QBs Fame, of course, and he's a consultant with DDC Draft Day Consultants. Josh, how you doing?
1: I am doing fantastic, Greg. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, man. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. I've been meaning to have you on this podcast for way too long, and I don't know why it's taken me so long, but I think it's just uh, perhaps me being a mediocre podcast planner to this point. But I'm getting better. Uh, that all ends now. That's why you're on the podcast. I'm uh, really, really excited to have you, man. Well,
1: you can practice on me, but yeah I, my opinion, you're far from mediocre. The, the few that I've listened to since you took over, it's it's been fantastic.
0: Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. I Appreciate that, and I appreciate listening. Um, I appreciate everybody listening to this podcast for sure. Let's give those listeners uh, something to think about. Let's talk about some best ball today on the podcast and specifically uh, about all the awesome work you've done on the MFL Live app. And this is an app that you created that tracks ADP, shows you visualizations of it. It's one of the best possible tools you can be using, you know, if you're doing these MFL 10 drafts, or if you're just prepping for, you know, seasonal fantasy in general. I mean, these are powerful tools. Uh, they can tell you a lot about the market price on players. Listeners need to get in the know. Go to fantasyadhe.com and check this thing out. And I'm just wondering, before we dive into the, the data and everything like that, what inspired the app for you, and what's the process been like of kind of building it and refining it over time?
1: Uh, it's been pretty exciting, to be honest. You um, know, the way I got started on an app like that was was last year during the Scott Fishbowl. In fact, it, I was lucky enough to be invited uh, as a fan to join that, and part of that process was building an ADP app that, that I could scrape, you know, from NFL's M- website, say every couple hours. And let's see where the ADP stands because in that league we've got 480, you know, experts drafting all at the same time in 40 different leagues. I think it was 40 at the time. Yeah, my math sucks. But anyway, across all these different leagues. And I was like, well, it'd be a pretty cool experiment to see how this draft evolves in real time because that's something that we really don't have the tools to do at this time. I mean, there are a lot of ADP apps out there on the market, some very, very good tools out there, Rotoviz probably has the best tool on the market, uh, bar none. But it was interesting to take an expert draft like that that was across a really wide scope of of strategies and and folks out there and and build something that folks could look at real time and see what their friends were doing, what their rivals were doing, and kind of survey the landscape outside of what the normal uh, league structures were like. Because Scott Fishbowl is different than any other league structure with the scoring, the way the rosters are put together, uh, you can't really look at something like MFL 10 ADP or even some of the standard league ADP from ESPN, Yahoo, et cetera, and get a feel for what's going on. So moving into this year for MFL 10s, I started looking at the, the ability of what we did at Scott Fishbowl last year and how can I proliferate that for MFL 10s. Again, like I said, Rotoviz had a fantastic MFL 10 app. They had some good FFPC stuff out there. Other sites, uh, I think Draft Sharks had a very good FFPC tool last year. But I thought these tools are are they're really good and they present standard information to you. They're giving you ADP. They're giving you ADP in Windows, let's say, every couple of weeks on a month. But what I didn't see was the ability to visualize what you needed to do next in your draft. So if I have a, a certain group of players I'm looking at or a particular position, how can I uh, go about making the best selection for my team based on the most recent information, based on the news that I see out there? Uh, so that was kind of what I set out to do was to build something where people could visualize, could see what was happening in drafts and not necessarily just stare at numbers and stare at tables, looking at numbers and tables. In my opinion, for me, somebody with ADHD, it's, it's just kind of a blur. Um, a lot of times I don't see the numbers anymore. I just see a, a bunch of blobs on a screen and I don't get anything out of it. But when I look at a picture, I see a lot more. I can, I can really quickly see trends. I can see what might be happening in the future and make a lot more informed decision than I would have in the past. So that's kind of where I started with the mfl 10 app. I tried to build some some very clear visualizations about what was happening, what I felt I would want to see when I'm drafting, and also got some really good feedback from some guys looking at the early stages of the app and saying, you know, it'd be neat if I could see something like this, or, hey, have you thought about that? And I would go and, and rack my brain across it for, you know, a couple days, a couple hours, something like that, and then say, hey, you know, what? I think I do have a way I could look at that. And I'd go and and put that together and end up with, you know, kind of where we are now, which is, I feel like, a really robust app with a lot of features that nobody else has on the market.
0: Yeah, it's really cool that you started off with this based on the Scott Fishbowl, and we're going to talk more about uh, this year's, you know, installment of the SFB uh, later in the episode. But before we get there, I want to talk to you specifically about MFL 10s and your app is an awesome resource um, and I use it all the time when I'm drafting them I'm not a high volume MFL ten guy by any means I think I've done like eight to ten at this point something along those lines but let's let's talk strategy in these drafts because we have the tools to use it at, at our disposal. How are we applying that so I, I want to start with some basic stuff um, let's talk a little bit about what MFL tens are for listeners who may not be aware these are one quarterback best ball leagues and what a best ball league is is one where you draft only and then you have a larger roster than you normally would because you, because you're only drafting, you don't have the ability to make pickups. But on top of that, you don't have to make roster decisions. The best ball format automatically chooses your best possible lineup every week during the season. And so that changes the strategy a little bit. You can play for those higher upside, lower uh, floor guys, You know, play into the variance a little bit. And you you have to do that because you're trying to get first place or at the very least second place in these leagues because those are the only two positions um, that actually will win you anything. Uh, So that's the format in a nutshell. Now, Josh, what is your or what goes into your baseline strategy for an MFL 10?
1: I'll be upfront. I mean, I didn't play any NFL tens last year, the year before any of that. I, I used it as kind of a, a place to study. I wanted to get schooled up on what I was going to do before I got in to the NFL 10 drafts this year. So this year, I think I've done maybe 15 so far. I think by the, by the end of um, the off season, I'll probably be through, I'm going to guess between 30 and 50. It just depends on what I see in the market and how much I decide to invest in that market, depending on what kind of weaknesses I, I feel like I see in it. So um, that may reveal a little bit of my baseline strategy and that's, you know, evaluating the marketplace and trying to attack the marketplace as I see it develop. If I do see some shortcomings uh, in the way that players positions are being drafted. So, you know, for me, the first thing that I, that I felt was, was probably going to be uh, prudent to do was study up on, on MFL 10 draft strategy based on performance in past years and Mike Beers uh, Beerswater on Twitter he's kind of the gold standard for that stuff. I mean, he's analyzed winning rosters and optimal draft strategies probably 10 12 different ways and has put out a lot of good articles detailing how to put your teams together to give yourself the best chances to win. So, once I once I had gotten involved with Mike and kind of gotten schooled up a little bit on his on his ideas and his process, um, I felt a lot more comfortable going in the drafts and not just, you know, coming in firing from the hip and, and, and just seeing what happened if I drafted the way I would normally draft, which is just kind of whimsical to some degree. Um, so far as the rest of my general strategy, I mean, I'm, I'm always looking for guys that are, that I like that are falling relative to their ADP. Now I, I don't necessarily adhere to ADP as the gold standard for where a guy should go. Um, just because the marketplace sets that as a going price, doesn't necessarily mean that's where I want a player to go. A lot of players, I'm going to buy well ahead of their going price, and a lot of players, I'm not going to buy at their going price at all, just because I don't like them for one reason or another. I, I try to keep that in mind. I look at the, I look at ADP pretty frequently, and I try to assess where I see shortcomings in the marketplace. And if I see enough of those, I will probably enter a couple of leagues and try to attack that and and give myself what I feel is the most optimal chance of of placing in one of those leagues. And it's not just players. Sometimes I look at positions that I feel like are becoming overvalued undervalued um in particular you know running back has been in my opinion overvalued since uh, mfl 10 started this year on february 27th play uh, running backs still they appear to be going way higher than they should be guys are chasing volume they're chasing the you know the mythical running back um i guess flourishing you could call it that we had last year so i'm going to probably try to attack overvalued positions like running back with wide receiver heavy drafts, tight end heavy drafts, taking quarterbacks sometimes a little bit earlier than others might take them, and then fall back on running backs that I'm comfortable with later in the draft, guys that I feel like will get a lot of volume um, <clears throat> in later rounds to fill out the rest of my running back core. Now, obviously, the, there, there's going to be some stuff there where, you know, there are bell count running backs that you probably should take at certain spots. Like if you're drafting in the first two picks, you probably need to take David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell. Uh, if you know what's good for you. But I wouldn't argue with anybody that wanted to deviate deviate from that path if they wanted to go wide receiver for some reason and then try to attack running back later, late in second round, early third round, etc.
0: Yeah, the market is so important there because you only get, I mean, if you only play a handful of these drafts, you only get so many opportunities to pick in those top spots. And so if you land the first pick or the second pick, that might be the only chance you get in all of your MFL tends to draft those two stud running backs or even Ezekiel Elliott at number three. Uh, but it sounds like you may not be into him quite as much, but it all starts with ADP, right? It, it starts with that evaluation of the marketplace, like you were talking about. And your app covers that. Uh, it easily shows us where we can find draft value, at least relative to our own, you know, evaluations of these players, but draft value isn't the same thing as actual value, right? And you you mentioned that that sometimes you're going to have to reach for guys that you like more, and sometimes there'll be guys who are a value relative to their ADP, but you just don't like that player, so you're going to continue to pass on them and let them slide. So uh, it's really fascinating. I think the draft slot has a lot to do with the way I start my drafts. I've noticed that when I have those early round or those early picks in the first round, I am taking those elite running backs and then It seems to me that most people at the back end of drafts are going wide receiver heavy like you were talking about before, and it kind of creates this weird tension between the first half of the draft and the second half of the draft where people are choosing between zero this and zero that, right? Zero RB, zero wide receiver, whatever you want to call it. The draft slot also can give you access to certain types of players, uh, certain types of positions, right? Um, Because these guys are tiered out relatively well and that bears out by adp you can see the breaking points in the adp where it's like okay here's the point where running back dries up or where you know the second tier of wide receiver dries up and it might be you know right before you say the second half of the fourth round i'm just i'm spitballing here this isn't actually what i think this is just an example or uh or yeah just an example but That does have to inform your draft strategy going forward, because if you know that you're not going to get a quality wide receiver two in the fifth round or at the end of the fourth round, then you may need to spend a higher pick on wide receivers and so on and so forth. Again, these are all just kind of uh, in a vacuum. Yeah, I guess example is the word I'll continue to use. But uh, do you know what I'm saying? I think that, that that's interesting to me when I look at the ADP.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely interesting. That, and that was a big driver behind the draft probability tab on the app that I developed because what I wanted to see was, and this is based off some some work that uh, a gentleman named Jason Lewis did last year for Rotoviz during the Scott Fish Bowl, um, where he looked at what's called set probability during drafts, where let's say I have a group of players that I'm looking at at a particular pick. Let's say in the seventh round, I'm looking at guys like Adrian Peterson, um, maybe uh, Randall Cobb, and maybe Corey Davis, let's just say, for example. Uh, and I want to see if, if what my probability is of one of those three guys being available at my pick in the seventh round. So I, I've got a tool on the app that I can go look at and say, okay, well, I'm going to punch up you know, pick 706, which is, happens to be my draft pick, and I can look at certain positions, I can look at certain cuts of players and say, okay, well, who's going to be available at this pick based on ADP data, draft data from the last two weeks, the last week, the last day, the last six months, Whatever time frame you look at, so I think it's a fantastic way to plan your draft. And I've heard some folks say that they only use it for their immediate pick, when the, and they just want to say, okay, well, what kind of value am I getting at this pick? Who's falling below their ADP in this time frame? And that's great. That's a good use of the tool. But you can also look at it as a way to scout out your next one, two, three picks, and say, okay, well, if I go running back in seventh round. And uh, is it feasible for me to go running back again in the eighth or do I need to be looking at receiver, tight end, quarterback, et cetera, based on what type of players are going to be available? So that kind of flows back into what you were saying is I've got players I like, I've got players I don't like. So if I look in the next round and it's all the players I don't like that are more than likely going to be there, then I'm probably going to go ahead and spin my pick and, and reach for the guy I want now and then deal with, you know, kind of the unsavory player pool on the next pick. So I I absolutely agree with you that it's – you have to assess every round, what you're going to have available for you in order to best inform your decision for the next one, two, three, et cetera rounds.
0: Yeah, I think another couple things you always have to weigh in when you're thinking about these MFL 10s is the volume of drafts that you do. I mean the more drafts you play in, the more you can afford to kind of quote-unquote diversify your portfolio of players – Uh, You can vary your strategy a little bit more. Um, You know, if you play higher volume, then it's not such a bad idea to have some drafts where you do spend higher picks on something like quarterback or tight end, you know, the one-of positions, uh, because you still want to give yourself access to those players, even if it's only in a small quantity. I, I have a couple, or I have one other question for you on that front, and this is a little bit more nebulous, but... Do you look at the behavior of your opponents in a draft while you're doing these things? Do you care what the other drafters are doing, pick to pick or round to round?
1: Not specifically. Now I won't. I won't actively go scout them out on a round to round basis to see what their roster construction looks like. If I'm in a situation where I'm looking at a second quarterback, or if I'm looking at maybe a third running back, that I, if I'm trying to do like a um, a hyper fragile strategy, like you know, Mike Beers made popular last year, with with three to four um, high volume running backs and and having that be everything on your roster. Yet, yeah, then I will go and I'll, I'll try to assess what my opponents are doing and make make an informed decision at that point about what I want to do with my roster. If I'm going to go ahead and continue down one path, or if I'm going to go ahead and try to switch things up and and try to react to what's going on in, in the draft with the remaining player pool.
0: So you brought up quarterbacks, and this is as good a time as any to kind of jump in on the positions themselves. And I should, you know, kind of preface this by saying that, yes, we are a two-quarterback site. But MFL 10s, while they're only one quarterback, do kind of mirror a lot of the things we have to consider when we're doing a two-quarterback league. Because you don't get to change your roster in season, because you don't get to choose which players to start, you do need to draft extra quarterbacks. And usually the question comes down to, do you draft two or do you draft three? I don't really care about the number there. I think there, there are arguments for both, and it, and it depends on, you know, which types of quarterbacks you're going after, of course. But in general, how late are you typically waiting to draft quarterbacks, Josh? This
1: season, I'm I'm not waiting all that long to take a quarterback. Um, I went back and, and looked at, at my uh, my player allotment so far. The guys I've been picking in my, in my drafts, and you know, I've got Aaron Rodgers, I've got Aaron Luck, I've got quite a bit of Russell Wilson. So, I mean, just judging by having those players on my roster, you can tell I'm not waiting all that long to get my first quarterback. Um, it, looking at some of the, the stuff that um, I've read on research in the MFL 10 uh, winning strategies, it, it, for a guy like me that only wants to draft two quarterbacks, it makes the most sense to try to grab a guy that I think is going to be in the top six for the season and then try to backfill him with a guy – at QB two, that's probably going to be in top 12, top 18 at worst. And then that way I can kind of, you know, dust my hands off at quarterback and focus on the rest of the, of the position allocation. But, you know, there's times where you get in, in a draft and, and, you know, the top quarterbacks, the guys that you assess in top six of position, they are just going like wildfire and you kind of have to vary your strategy at that point and say, okay, well, do I need to take two guys that I think are solid top 12 quarterbacks, or do I need to kind of fall back on a late quarterback strategy and, and go three by top 24 quarterbacks and just shotgun approach it. I mean, it's, there's a lot of ways to play it. And that's the great thing about the MFL 10 format is, is there's a lot of flexibility in the roster format um, for how you want to handle your business.
0: And again, the more volume you play, the more you get to mix it up. Um, And that's something that I need to start looking into at this point, because all of the drafts I've done, I've waited until at least the eighth round or later to draft my first QB. Um, But I've still ended up with shares of Russell Wilson, uh, Cam Newton, uh, some of the other guys who are kind of in that second or, or you know two B tier, um, Roethlisberger. Uh, you're kind of thinking guys like
1: Andy Dalton. Yeah, thinking maybe, maybe guys like uh, if, you, if you're getting down near the near end of that tier is probably like Ryan Tannehill. Um, I, I think that's honestly, I think that's a very viable strategy because at that point you're probably looking at guys, and, and this is just kind of my opinion, but I think anywhere quarterback, probably quarterback eight down to quarterback twenty. You're looking at the same guy, more or less, on a seasonal output.
0: I totally agree. So yeah.
1: just get two of them, right? So if, if those two guys are available starting in the ninth or tenth round, hey, man, that's even better. Because then you could probably fill up some other positions that, that are really positions of need and then get your, you know, your streaming quarterbacks effectively um, at a much more reasonable cost.
0: Yeah, the two quarterbacks I've ended up with the most, and this is pretty telling of my quarterback strategy, are Tyrod Taylor and Sam Bradford. Those are the two guys I own the most of. Um, Bradford is just one of those guys who, for a long time uh, in the early offseason, was just going really, really late to the point where it was almost comical. It's like, you know, this guy's a starting quarterback. He has some good weapons. There's no need for him to be, you know, available in the third to last round or something like somebody can use this guy and, and that somebody is usually me um, in those you know early months. But um, which guys are you ending up with the most often?
1: Well, I, you know, I kind of discussed a couple of them already. So Russell Wilson, I've got a ton of Russell Wilson so far, just because I I feel like even at a place like QB six, he's undervalued because, you know, the guy was hurt for nine weeks last year. And then once he was finally healed up from his injuries in the second half of last season, he just, he lit it up again. So I, I'm buying as much of him as I can right now. Um, I have quite a bit of Phillip rivers and I have Josh Lake to thank for that because mm-hmm. he's been on Phillip rivers pretty much since the last season ended as a, uh, as a high upside guy. I've, I've got a lot of rivers. I'm looking at Kirk cousins a lot and that's mainly just from passing volume. I, you know, that, that guy's playing for a contract again this season uh, he's got a lot of great weapons around him. He's got a coach that is, you know, really happy to just throw the ball forty-five times a game if he needs to. So, you know, I, I'm pretty happy with that. If I get Kirk Cousins, I, I've been trying to draft him no late, no earlier. Sorry, no earlier than the tenth round. And I find that, that he's lasting there quite a bit. Um, you mentioned Tyrod Taylor. I, I'm I'm crazy about Tyrod Taylor this year. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what he can do with you know an actual offensive mind in Buffalo and somebody you know. That gives a damn about offense, call and plays. Pass the ball. That'd be fun to see. Yeah, Pat Yeah, you know, what the <laughs> hell? Let's throw the ball for a change, you know? Go figure. Yeah, yeah. How's
0: that work? It's 2017. Thank you, Buffalo, for getting with it.
1: <laughs> it's okay. They're still going to wear the leather helmets. So <laughs> it's. <laughs> mm-hmm. I- <laughs> I mean, I, they're going to keep it real a little bit. I mean, Rex, then, Rex
0: Ryan probably was wearing a leather helmet for however many years. Like, man, he yeah, well, a lot of wasted. It looked like he years. was
1: wearing one in that bar scuffle in New Orleans a couple of weeks back too. <laughs>
0: well, no, what, no, sorry,
1: it's Nashville, Nashville where he, where he and his brother got in the fight. You know, it's it's never ending for those guys. Unbelievable. And then um, the two other guys I'm looking at, and these will be the last two I talk about are, are Andy Dalton and Ryan Tannehill. Um, Andy Dalton again, he was he's I think he's undervalued right now. That that's a pretty much a high volume passing offense he's got a fantastic set of weapons around him that you know lo and behold they were all hurt last year and uh i think you know i think he's kind of kind of come back with a vengeance like philip rivers this year uh, this season and then ran ran Tannehill a minute ago what i like about Tannehill is that while he may not be a high volume thrower um in in the second year of adam Gase's offense he might be a very efficient and effective thrower in that offense i think uh Gase is probably going to pick his spots to, to throw heavy or to throw deep. Uh, they certainly have the guys around Tannehill to catch the ball and uh, take advantage of a, a kind of a, you know, a strike when it's right offense. You know, they, they've got uh, it's Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry. They still got Kenny Stills. They re-signed him. Uh, they brought in um, Orange Julius Thomas. So, uh, you know, the, the, the guys are there around Tannehill to make Tannehill a very high-yield option and a player that you can get in the 13th or 14th round oftentimes that may end up winning your leagues as a QB two. That's a bargain basement price.
0: Yep. The price is what's important with him is though, even though, like you said, he probably won't perform on quite the same level as a lot of the guys being drafted ahead of him. He's so much cheaper and he's close enough that it doesn't matter. Um, I I think that he could end up having kind of like a, a poor man's Dak Prescott season from last year where, you know, the investment is low. But you're going to get consistent production, even if that isn't necessarily elite production, and that stuff matters, like uh, in MFL tens, because you get all the good stuff, um, and the bad stuff doesn't hurt you all that much. So, um, which guys are you avoiding? I we've talked a lot about guys that we like. It, it almost seems like there's no room for for guys to not draft. But which QBs have you found yourself, you know, kind of passing on for either other guys at the same position or just other positions altogether?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago how, you know, I kind of look at QBs from QB8 to QB20 is just kind of a, it's a, a great malaise, you know, it's just, they're all the same guy. But once I get past QB20, I start seeing a lot of warts that I'm not really crazy about. And those are typically the guys I'll avoid. So I'm looking at guys like um, Sam Bradford. Uh, you mentioned getting Bradford earlier at his price in the 17th round is totally fair. But if you've got a if you got to hold your nose and pick a guy like Sam Bradford in the, in the 12th or 13th round, to me, that's a no go, you know, and I, and I hate to do this to Sal, but I got to say Alex Smith just because <laughs> of Alex Smith's low upside on a weekly basis. Um, I, I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that you can draft even by, that are going behind Alex Smith in ADP that could end up outscoring him on a weekly basis on a week where you need a guy to score, let's say 15, 16 points instead of eight or nine points. So while I like Alex Smith as is, um, as a season long quarterback in, Q, in two QB leagues, I don't like him in this kind of format where you've got, you know, you need a quarterback to put up a good score every week and some guy, some guy you can depend on. Um, the other situations I'm avoiding are the ones that are going to be really fluid, I think, throughout the year uh, where we don't have a lot of clarity on who's going to be starting. So, you know, it's going to be places like Houston, San Francisco. Um, I'm also looking at, uh, New York Jets and Chicago is just kind of like, you know, stuff that's kind of up in the air for me, what's going to be happening there. They're going to be playing quarterback carousel. And and it's, to me, that's, that's just sunk cost. I mean, if you're drafting a quarterback in that situation, you're, you're drafting them at the top of their expectation. And, you know, oftentimes those guys are probably not going to give you a whole lot during a season. It's just be dead space on a roster.
0: Yep, Cleveland's like that too, and and all those teams you mentioned are are ones that I'm avoiding as well. Um, And as I discussed before, I'm avoiding most of the guys who are early in ADP. I think Russell Wilson is the highest ADP quarterback I've ended up with, and I got him in the eighth round when I did draft him. Um, The pair of Cam Newton shares I got were in the eighth and ninth round. Um, Just kind of full disclosure because we talked about Bradford a little bit. The four times I've drafted him, I took him in the 16th, the 16th, the 17th, and the 19th, so I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, I don't feel bad about that at all. I think that that's, that's probably the right price for him, or at least the price where it's it's time to buy. The other guys I'm avoiding are the ones in that kind of, you said QB8 to QB20. I think that, I don't know if the numbers I have would exactly match that, but I totally agree that there's a, a just a very large middle class of quarterbacks. And so any of the guys who are being drafted at the top of that are probably guys I'm not going to have. Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, he goes back and forth depending upon the draft i find you know sometimes he does slide but sometimes he gets taken as the qb8 or the qb9 and and i'm sorry that's still a, a bit of a too steep a price for me to pay um dak prescott's another guy who while i like the potential you know konami code rushing upside and that's not to say he ran a lot last year but i think he runs selectively in a way that helps your fantasy team he's another guy who i think might be a little overvalued and so i haven't ended up with him at all either um, I, I just think that all those guys in that you know kind of QB eight to QB fourteen range are being drafted based upon their ceiling. Uh, the price is is there, and it's not necessarily based upon an average case or or a or a worst case. But I get it. Like somebody has to be somebody has to be drafting those guys ahead of you know the Rivers, the Daltons, the Tannehills, right? And that's just going to happen. As, and my dog is very upset about this. Does not um,
1: like Ryan Tannehill, does he? <laughs>
0: she does not um but anyway anyway um <laughs> those are the ones i'm avoiding let's see it's uh awesome. chelsea yeah. the problem the problem is that she won't stop so we might have to do a little <laughs> pause here for a second and we'll be right back hold on just a sec <laughs> all right we're back uh, apologies for the the canine incident um Let's talk about some other positions. We've we've gone on about quarterbacks long enough. Um, At running back, wide receiver, tight end, who are the guys you think are you know the most overvalued or undervalued? Um, You can kind of jump around. Just kind of where's your head at on the MFL ten ADP? Who who are these guys that you like? Which ones do you not like?
1: Well, it's um, I, I'll start out at running back. I try to I try to follow these in a little bit of order. So mainly, so I wouldn't, wouldn't lose track of what I was going to talk about. So sure, yeah, sure. Right, right now I'm still seeing a lot of a lot of hangover from the NFL draft, and, and guys are still taking, in my opinion, they're still taking rookie running backs way, way, way ahead of schedule. Um, guys like Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, right now Christian McCaffrey is going in right around two point seven at the, as RB thirteen. And we kind of talked about this pre-show. It's just that's unbelievably high for a guy that hasn't taken a snap in the pros. You know, the guys are drafting him thinking he's probably going to see 200 carries and, and 60 or 70 catches, and I just don't see that kind of volume there this year uh, with Jonathan Stewart still in the fold. I mean, you still have your goal line back effectively with Cam Newton unless they decide to change that a little bit this year and try to protect him some. Uh, I, I, just don't, I just don't know if there's going to be – 270 to 300 touches there for Christian McCaffrey. You know they've got, they got they drafted Curtis Samuel, a, a guy who could very well take you know 60, 70 handoffs himself as a tweener. And, and until I see some some preseason film on this guy, I, I just don't buy RB 13 for him. Uh, Derrick right. Henry is another guy I, I kind of got a little bit of an issue with. I love him as a player. I think he is a fantastic talent. But you know RB two in Tennessee going as RB 25. Uh, in an MFL 10 ADP, and it is just, it's ludicrous right now. I mean, there's so many other players you could draft right there, I think, that would give you more value throughout the season, barring injury, than than spending that pick there. Dalvin Cook, kind of the same thing. I, I mean, everybody's kind of just ordaining Dalvin Cook as the as the two to three down back in Minnesota while they still, you know, they signed Latavius Murray, uh, who appears bound for purgatory, and they still have Jarrett McKinnon on staff there, who's probably going to get the passing down work, and – you know, is a very good running back in his own ride, I believe, and, and could still eat into some of those carries as a, not just a change of pace back, but he could get whole series to himself potentially. So another guy I kind of have a little bit of an issue with is Tevin Coleman. I love Tevin Coleman as a player, but RB20 is a little bit high for me. Um, I think it's a bit overvalued. If he was going to be drafted as part of a tandem, let's say you take Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Um, so you're looking at drafting guys as like, you know, at Tevin Coleman at the fifth round and you're taking – uh, Devonta Freeman either late first early second uh, that's a lot of capital to put into quote-unquote a bell cow running back uh, if you're depending on both of those guys to effectively replace a guy like Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson on a weekly basis just it's, it's a lot to spend on that kind of
0: pick well and it limit and it limits your upside right <clears throat> because that's a roster spot you're using for the same commodity essentially that you could be using for the upside somewhere else, whether it be, you know, a a big play wide receiver like Will Fuller or Ted Ginn or or something like that. There are a lot of other things you could do with that roster spot rather than burn it trying to, you know, guarantee you get yourself the Atlanta backfield. I I agree with you on McCaffrey and Cook. Like those two guys both entered situations where, you know, the capital spent on them in the draft was high, but there's still a lot of competition for touches. You touched on on both of them. Um, I have a little bit more faith and a little I can see the appeal of Derrick Henry and Tevin Coleman more as individual players if only because if you know their competition were to get hurt or suspended or whatever else um if you know if DeVonta Freeman goes down if DeMarco Murray goes down those guys are you know potentially going to be league winning plays and because this is an upside driven format you kind of do have to spend those higher prices on those guys who could potentially you know, bring home a, a, a first-place finish. Um, but with that said, I agree. Like, it, it's a little it's a little risky to take them where they're going. Another guy I'm not really a big fan of is Marshawn Lynch, and this is kind of more of the same, where he's entering what will probably end up being a committee where he's the, you know, the... How do I want to put this? Like, the, the Jerome Bettis type. He's mainly. The Yeah, exactly. And I, I just... I understand that that Oakland... Raiders offense is supposed to be very good, um, and their offensive line is very good. I think they were they benefited from a pretty soft schedule last year, and the last time we saw Lynch, he just didn't look good. Then he took a year off football. We have no reason to believe that he's going to come back and deliver on you know the promise that he showed two or three years ago. That's just that's absurd to me. Like expecting him to be that good after a year off. You know when the Raiders have two other good young running backs on their team and a good passing offense, in theory, like I just don't see his role being big enough to merit a, you know, a third round pick. As I'm seeing him go in some of these drafts, like that's just insane to me. Who, who are some guys that you do like? And and I I'll actually just kind of pivot into a, a pair of guys that I like, and it's the, it's the other Oakland running backs, DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard. Like these guys are dirt cheap. And I think they're going to be just as involved as Lynch. They have the receiving upside to take advantage of the MFL 10's PPR format. Um, those are guys that I'm drafting a lot late. And uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be late round guys, but but who else are you targeting at the running back position?
1: You know, I, I kind of wanted to talk about Lynch a little bit because I thought it was interesting that you brought him up. I think, I think Lynch is probably signed with the Oakland Raiders, number one. Obviously, it's his hometown team. I think he's been brought in as an attitude guy and a room guy for that locker room. I I think he's there to adjust the attitude of that team and give that team a little bit more of an edge than they've had before, you know, since the old school Raiders when Al Davis was around. To that effect, I think anybody drafting Marshawn Lynch where he's going right now, which looks like he's going right around the 40th pick over the last couple weeks, I mean, you're taking that dude at his ceiling. I mean, you're expecting him to come out and play like it's 2013 all over again and you got I, beast, the beast quake is going to happen
0: every week and um I just I argue it's it. above his ceiling.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, even at his best
0: is he going to perform that well? I don't see it. But anyway, I cut you off. Please continue. No,
1: it's fine. I mean, it's this is the conversation we're having. I mean, we're this is why we're here. Uh so so Lance, I mean, it's a really interesting case for me because I, you know, could he come in and take let's say 180 to 240 touches and be dynamite with those? Absolutely. He, po- he absolutely can. And I don't think he would be playing and suiting up unless he thought he could do it. But again, I, I am totally with you on DeAndre Washington. I like Jalen Richard. Um, You know, those guys are, they're effectively free in NFL tens right now, you know, you're taking those guys between the 16th and 20th rounds. And if you want to get a piece of Oakland in the backfield behind what's, you know, reason to be a very good offensive line, I think you'd be better off just taking Washington and Richard and eschewing Marshawn Lynch and, and just, find another find another guy at that point in the draft another couple guys i think are are pretty underpriced right now and and have been all along i'm looking at jonathan stewart you know already kind of ragged on christian mccaffrey while i think he's a fantastic talent uh jonathan stewart's been there he knows the offense now granted they claim they're going to change the offense up this year to kind of suit some of the talent they brought in i'll believe it when i see it i don't think mike shula is all that bright of a guy um, or he would have done all this stuff already with all the you know with Cam Newton. I mean, they would have tried something different already, but they haven't. They still run the same kind of pop gun 1950s offense uh, that leaves our scratching our heads at the, at the end of a Sunday. But I still like Jonathan Stewart in that offense. I I think if anything, if they decide to modify that offense, some in the skiing a little bit, I think he becomes the goal lineback. I think that's a place where he's proven himself effective when he's gotten touches there in the past. Uh, He's still an excellent receiving back. So he can still catch passes and he's still a big guy that can fly. So, I mean, it's, it's not like Christian McCaffrey is just going to you know parade into this job and not have any competition. Jonathan Stewart still has a lot of talent, in my opinion, doesn't have a lot of miles on him and, and can still soak up 200 to 250 touches this year with, with really no issues. Adrian Peterson is a guy that I wasn't on at all really until the past couple of weeks uh, when it, you know all the reports coming out of minicamp now granted, these are all fluff reports, but you know repeatedly say what kind of shape this guy's in you know, that he's rededicated himself and that he's, you know, he looks like he's 27 years old again. And if that's the guy, if that's the cat we're going to get in New Orleans this year, then, you know, at his ADP right now of RB 34, why the hell not, man, you, you owe it to yourself to take a shot on this guy. Um, the last guy I'll talk about right now is CJ Anderson. I, I still have, yes. I still have a crush on CJ Anderson. I think that guy's a fantastic player. You know, Peyton Manning, uh, the past couple of seasons before he retired, ranted and raved about how smart that guy was and that that was one of the smartest players he had ever played with. And to me, you know, Peyton Manning says a lot of stuff, but I kind of take that from him as a really, really high compliment because that's something he just doesn't come out and say. Normally he's just talking about himself. So, (laughs) you know, CJ right now, he's going at the, at the tail end of the fifth round running back 23. I think that's a relatively fair price for him, but a lot of times i see him slipping into the sixth, seventh, and sometimes even the eighth rounds and, if, if C.J. Anderson is there at the end of the fifth or end of the sixth, I'm taking him. Just There's no question about it. Just because I think he has you know 250 to 300 touch potential uh, in that offense, even though guys like Jamal Charles are on the roster and they still have Devontae Booker on staff. Uh, I just think Anderson is such a good player. And if that offense shows anything more than the garbage they showed last year, he will be a fantastic buy looking back next offseason.
0: Yeah, he was a third or fourth round guy before they signed Jamal Charles. And, you know, correspondingly, Jamal Charles pushes his ADP down. But I don't know if Jamal Charles has anything left either. So I, it could very well just be the C.J. Anderson show with some Devontae Booker mixed in. A uh, couple other guys I like. I'm just going to gloss over this. You, you talked about not lock, liking rookies. But one guy I am interested in is Samaj P. Ryan. Or, or Perine, I wish I knew how to pronounce his name, but I, I like that he hasn't necessarily gotten that that big, you know, price increase despite landing in a in a very good situation where he might end up being the primary guy uh, on a good offense. Um, kind of tied to the Kirk Cousins love you were throwing out earlier, and then tied to your Russell Wilson love. I'll say that I like Eddie Lacy. Uh, I like CJ Prosize and even Thomas Rawls now is. I saw him go in the 18th or 19th round of an MFL 10 this week, which is stunning like I understand that he's kind of fallen out of favor there since they got Lacey and all these reports about you know him meeting these weight thresholds are being met like I I don't I don't really care about that if Rawls is going to just tumble down into the the free zone Um, if he if he costs nothing sure why not take a shot he looked really good when he was healthy I just don't think he was healthy in 2016 what one backfield I'm not really sure how to approach I want to get your thoughts on this is Tampa Bay's Are you going after Doug Martin? Are you on the Charles Sims plan? Or are you doing the Jaquiz Rogers thing? Like, Rogers seems like the best bet to be the the early down back in the first couple weeks. But that might be all you get out of him before Martin takes over later. It seems to me like Martin is probably the odds-on favorite to score the most points there. But Sims is probably the guy who will have the most value all year. So it kind of depends on what you need, right?
1: Yeah, I think it does. You know, it's it, Tampa Bay is really interesting. It, it could be, it could be a really muddy, ugly situation by the time the season's over, just like it was last season. Um, you know, a lot of guys are reporting that, you know, Doug Martin's coming back and he's in fantastic shape. Uh, you know, you hear all the crap all over again. It's rededicated himself. He's in his playbook all the time. Yada, yada, um, you know, it's probably his agent woofing, you know, and his agent's trying to get that guy paid. So, I don't know if I'm a, a high believer in Doug Martin. I have taken him in a couple of drafts, but it's usually when he fell into the 11th or 12th round. Um, the guy that I'm looking at in this backfield right now is the guy that's being drafted dead last of all four, and that's Jeremy McNichols. McNichols, out, wow, okay. yeah, the rookie out of Boise. Um, you know, Tampa Bay has they've got a thing for guys from Boise. You know, they drafted Doug Martin, and now they've taken McNichols, who come out of the same uh, system the Chris Peterson system, I can't, I can't remember the name of the new coach now, but it's effectively the same system they run where they, you know, I mean, those guys are just churning out pro-style backs. No, you know, between Martin and McNichols, there was a Ajayi. Ajayi's in Miami, and we saw what he did last year. Granny had some outlier performances. But uh, on the whole, I think we could say that Ajayi was a roaring success for Miami uh, behind an offensive line that many thought was really not that good with quarterback play that really wasn't all that good a lot of people said. So for Tampa, I'm looking at McNichols. I've taken a ton of McNichols. Uh, Anytime that I'm in the 17th, 20th round and I need a running back, I'm typically looking at him if I'm not looking at a guy like DeAndre Washington or a guy like Brian Matthews. So Jaquiz Rogers, I'm not on Jaquiz Rogers at all. I like Jaquiz as a player, uh, but I think Jaquiz is a placeholder in this offense. Uh, I had seen some, some, uh, news that he had bulked up which or sorry not bulked up but he actually kind of slimmed down a little bit uh so him slimming down that tells me that they're getting him ready for a passing down role and they want that guy to be a scat back and charles sims while i like charles sims a couple years back uh the tea leaves coming out of there last year when doug martin went down was that okay we're going to give charles sims all the rope he needs and then the next week they're hanging him with that rope you know it's just like we don't like charles sims anymore because he played two weeks and he didn't show us that he was a three down back so you know, good riddance to him, and we're going to let this guy kind of play out his rookie contract and and move along. McNichols is a fifth round pick. He did have a lot of, uh, I'd say, he had a lot of statistical measures in his favor coming into the draft before he was picked in the fifth round. I think some of the Rotoviz metrics had him as a top three workout, workhorse back in their uh, in their metrics. And to me, that's the kind of guy I'm looking for. I want a guy that can play three downs. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've read about McNichols talks about him as one of the most effective pass blockers in the draft. And those are the guys that are going to play early downs. Those are the guys that are going to play early in the season if they can find their way in. And in a backfield like the one in Tampa Bay, I don't think it's going to take much for a guy to find his way in and retain the starting role throughout the year.
0: Yeah. My, my primary concern is that they're never going to settle on just one guy. And, I mean, like I said, it could be Martin, and you're, you're making a good case for McNichols. He was a, a guy who – Heading into the draft had a lot of promise, and that is a good landing spot if he can become that, you know, dynamic guy who handles a lot of work. But I'm I'm not sold on that happening. Uh, it does seem like one of those backfields where you kind of want to spread it out, maybe take some, roll the dice on a few different options. And if you settle more on McNichols or more on Doug Martin or more on Charles Sims, that 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 can all make sense. You can you know kind of construct the narratives to make that happen. Um, let's move over to wide receiver and, and let's try to breeze through just one or two picks of overrated and and underrated here um what do you like and not like at the wide opposition in mfl 10s you know a lot of guys
1: have been beating the drum lately over keenan allen tyreek hill brandon cooks as overvalued guys and i agree with all three of those it's just i don't see how any of those players can sustain the value that they're being drafted at right now the capital that you have to put into those guys another guy that i that i'm looking at that i feel is a little bit probably overvalued right now is Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson is going to need the kind of campaign that DeAndre Hopkins had in 2015, which is a boatload of targets on a team that's playing slightly from behind and trying to keep their head above water um, in order to try to get the lead and sustain a lead. And we thought that was going to be Allen Robinson 2016. And that didn't come to fruition because, you know, lo and behold, they've got a guy quarterback that's just total garbage and takes 35 seconds to wind up to throw a pass so you know i still think Allen robinson right now he's he's wide receiver 13 and adp over the last couple of weeks going around right after uh the two three turn and i just don't see him being able to return value unless he returns to his 2015
0: form yeah a, a couple more guys and these are more just players i don't like more than anything else it's not that the situation is necessarily bad uh but i i feel like they have some weird sort of name recognition that kind of pumps them up in ADP. Uh, Richard Matthews and Golden Tate. Uh, Tate just doesn't really have that kind of huge play upside or big touchdown upside. I mean, I know that he can he can break a big one with kind of his ability to, to move in space, but he's just not the type of player that I like, and so I'm avoiding him. Um, I'm glad you brought up Allen Robinson, and I think part of the reason why he is overvalued is because Marquise Lee really kind of came into his own last season and he was the guy that they drafted as you know higher than Allen Robinson originally. He had more draft capital invested in him. We knew he was a good prospect. Maybe he just took a little longer to develop. And if if he continues along that track, we could see Allen Robinson continue to see his target share drop. And that's that's a little scary. Um, tying into your Keenan Allen hate, Tyrell Williams is a guy that I like. Uh, I think that love him
1: Tyrell and- Williams love him.
0: Yeah, he, him and another guy, Cam Meredith, are those guys who had the measurables and just needed to get put in the situation to where they can succeed. And I think Tyrell Williams is a little bit sketchier of only because there are so many different receivers that are going to be fighting for targets in that, uh, not San Diego, but Los Angeles offense. Um, mm-hmm. Meredith has a lot less competition, and he's a guy that I'm all over in a lot of my drafts. Uh, I'm not really a believer in Kevin White, not to say that I'm a, a disbeliever, um, I, I think that he could be fine, but I think that what we saw from Meredith last year kind of shows that, that he's ready to to be a real NFL player, and he's going you know, pretty late relative to a guy who's going to be likely the wide receiver one on an offense that's going to have to pass a lot, um, and the last guy I want to bring up here just to tie into the Golden Tate hate is Marvin Jones, uh, a guy who started off really strong last year, struggled with some injuries after that, and now his price is very low because of it, and, and people are all over Golden Tate again. I think that Jones is once again a value and, and you know if he can stay healthy, then he might have an even better year than than last year. Can I can I
1: sp- can I spend a couple minutes and talk you into Golden Tate?
0: Yeah, please. No, I mean can I, I, try? I, I don't disagree with people very often on this show, so so please try to talk to me into what do you like about Tate?
1: Well, it's it's not necessarily Tate that I, I like. I do like Tate as a player. What what I see with Detroit is that last year they it was kind of the worst case scenario handbook for them. They had a lot of guys on defense get injured. And that forced them into a tempo and a game plan on offense to hide and obscure that defense in 2015. And the last time of 2015, once Jim Bob Cooter took over play calling that team went up tempo. They were throwing a lot more sensible passes. They weren't trying to just throw deep balls all the time. It was a lot more crossing routes, a lot more slants, a lot more high success rate passes they actually move the offense and put more points on the board. And that to me, that was the expectation going in last year. That's how I assessed that offense, and this is how I thought they were going to come in. And lo and behold, you know, they got some guys on defense injured, and they had to change their game plan entirely. And that neutered the passing offense. So what once was, you know, Golden Tate and Marvin Jones and, you know, 350 yards and three TDs turned into theoretic and 12 targets for, you know, 95 yards and maybe a touchdown while they, you know, struggled to score 17 points. So I think given... Their full complement of defensive weapons this year, I think Detroit is probably going to try to go back to that up-tempo pace that they ran at the end of 2015 with a sensible passing attack where they're not just trying to, you know, YOLO every pass downfield. And to me, that gives Tate and Marvin Jones both a ton of value at their respective draft positions. Now, granted, I I think Tate and, and Jones are probably a little bit out of whack respective of each other, but... I do think that Jones is a super buy low value. I agree with you on that. I think Tate's probably people are probably buying him at the top of his value, but I won't argue too much with people taking him where he is based on what I think Detroit's going to try to do on offense this year.
0: Yeah, that's fair. My primary concern is that with kind of Jones supposedly being healthy with Riddick coming back, you know, with Ebron maybe being a little healthier for the whole year that Tate's general opportunities might go down but but you might be right it might swing the other way that if those guys are all healthy the offense gets better as a whole and then they all eat and so i I can see the argument for me it is more about the gap in value between those two guys on the same team and i'm not drafting golden tate when i can draft marvin jones so much later um but yeah that's a good point I, i hadn't really considered you know exactly why I, or the the flip side of my argument that you know maybe the offense will have more pieces, you know what i mean?
1: Mhm. Absolutely. Yep. And and i think that's i think that's a totally fair assessment.
0: Okay. Um quickly on tight end, I'm a couple guys i'm not really buying at their price are Hunter Henry and Zach Ertz. Henry kind of for the same reason that Keenan Allen is you're down on him just a lot of receivers there and and he's still a young tight end and I, he did perform well in his first year, but I'm not convinced that he deserves the draft capital he's getting in MFL tens. And Ertz is fine, uh, but I think you're you're paying for uh, last year's production after they brought in Alshon, after they brought in Tory yeah, Smith. You're
1: after. paying for December,
0: yes, and that's always something that worries me. Um, guys, I don't or guys I am buying at their current prices. Martellus Bennett, I'm surprised he's as low as he is to be honest. E- even among tight ends, like there are guys going ahead of him that. You know, why would you draft those other guys when you could have uh you know an impressive uh proven tight end receiver in an Aaron Rodgers offense i, I don't get it um a couple other guys later in the in the drafts that, that I'm targeting are Kobe Fleener and Antonio Gates and the last one I'll mention is Kelvin Benjamin oh wait he's a wide receiver never mind
1: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Dante Moncrief for a minute but the yeah, Kelvin <laughs> Benjamin's a good fit too so
0: yeah. uh,
1: yeah, I, I'm with you on Hunter Henry. I, it's just that uh, the fascination to, to me, I'm I'm lost. You know, I, I don't understand why you would take Hunter Henry at, at tight end date when you still have Antonio Gates on that team and Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams and Dontrell Lindman and Mike Williams. And, you know, the list goes on and on. On and, and on. You gotta, I mean, uh, to me, I mean, uh, Philip Rivers is going to have to throw 750 attempts just to get Hunter Henry to eat. And I just don't see how that's going to happen without, you know, the long list of injuries that they seem to have every single year. So I don't know. Maybe there's some method to the madness there. Yeah, they're playing yeah. right into it. <laughs> so Martellus Bennett, I think that's an interesting case because to me, Green Bay has, I think while he is a very effective receiving tight end, Green Bay signed that guy as the sixth offensive lineman. He's a devastating run blocker, devastating run blocker. And I think that was the big allure for him mm-hmm. in New England was his ability to tag up on the end of the offensive line and just devastate people with uh, LeGarrette Blunt lugging the rock behind him, he's I think he's going to do the exact same thing in Green Bay. They see him as a guy that's going to come in right on the end of the line, and they're going to be able to just, you know, mush it when they need to mush it. Now, is that going to be Ty Montgomery behind that line or some other guy? I don't know. But I, I while I think Martellus Bennett will probably see some very strategic passing attempts his way, and probably a lot of high leverage attempts in the red zone, I don't necessarily think he's going to be like a 120 target guy in Green Bay. I think what they're they're probably going to try to do something a little bit different, but you know Martellus Bennett, uh, where he's going right now at the end of the ninth round, I think he's a very fair value. I think he's a guy worth going for because uh, Bennett, even on a something you know diet of like eighty targets, can still give you seven to eight scoring weeks, which is, I mean, I think that's fantastic for a tight end in that range. Yes. yes. You know, yeah. it, it, the other the other situation that really has me scratching my head and has since the draft is OJ Howard and Cameron Braid. You know, once Howard was drafted, Howard is right now sitting at tight end 14, going, it uh, looks like right at the end of the 11th round, while Cameron Bright has fallen. I mean, just completely fallen off the map. And he's somewhere around the end of the 14th round, uh, going at tight end 22. Tight end 22. And I think he ended up scoring probably top seven or so in tight end last year. So uh, we're just going to take that guy and throw him in the trash because they picked – O.J. Howard. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me, especially, you know, given the news coming out of camp this week where, you know, it was Cameron Brait show in minicamp. And, oh, we got Cameron Brait going to run in the slot. And he's just going to destroy people. So, you know, while that's some of that is probably camp fodder uh, at the same time, you know, sometimes, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think Cameron Brake put out enough smoke over the last couple seasons that there's plenty of fire behind him. And at tight end 22, he's free.
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely a value at this point. I have concerns about that offense in general. Not that it'll be bad, but just kind of like we talked about with some of these other teams that because of the other pieces they brought in, I don't see Brait getting the same volume he got last year. And while early on in the offseason you had to pay the price for that volume, now you don't. So I get drafting him. He's a really nice target in the later rounds. What do you think about Vance McDonald and, and the Niners' tight end situation? Because Vance was a very good player when he's played, but it seems like that they just don't want anything to do with him, and I don't get it. Like I, it seems like he could be a smoking value if this is all just a you know a ruse to to keep defenses from caring about Vance McDonald in the first couple weeks of the season or something. Like I just I just don't get it. I, what do you think? You know, I, I've taken him in a couple of spots,
1: like in the twentieth round. <laughs> Where I'm looking at, you know, situations like, okay, well, I don't like any of the defenses left. I'm going to take a third tight end, and just because he's a super high upside guy. And this is this is before the the all the feel good stories about Austin Seferi and Jenkins came out, talking about him, you know, losing all the weight, and you know, all of a sudden he's this superhuman that's playing for the New York Jets. But yeah, I like Vance McDonald as a player. I loved him last year, and you know, obviously things didn't work out, and and now we're coming into this year, and he's persona non grata. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but at this at this stage, I'm probably going to start avoiding him. I have been pretty actively since, I'd say, March, just because uh, to me there's a – I don't want to say a black cloud, but it's just – it's like a veil of uncertainty hanging around the, the Niners' offense. And that's something I even in the 20th round I'm probably going to avoid. But if, if I'm going to do something in the 20th round and I don't see a guy like ASJ there anymore because people are finally picking up on him, I'm going to be looking at a guy like A.J. Derby in Denver um, who came on last year, very late once they traded for him and he kind of got uh, schemed up in the offense who had some pretty productive weeks. I mean, they started scheming him in the offense. They were looking for him. He obviously had a ton of talent going into, into new England and for whatever reason, they decided to to move along from him. Um, but we know that's an offense where Mike McCoy will scheme the tight end into it. He did. He kind of did that with Julius Thomas. Once my, once uh, Adam Gase was gone Uh, If I have my chronology correct, I may not. I'm probably probably way off. But I feel like Derby is going to be a guy in the last round that you could pick that's going to be effectively a starting tight end and an offense that will probably throw plenty and have a chance to put up starter numbers in, I don't know, eight weeks for the cost of nothing, you know?
0: Yeah, those late round tight ends are always... You can see the appeal, you can see that upside there, they're tantalizing in that 20th and 19th round, and that's usually where I will pick up a third tight end over, say, like a third defense a lot of the time, because at least the tight ends can get into the flex on bad weeks, I suppose, but yeah, I'd never end up taking the same guys all that much more than once. Like, I've got a Jermaine Gresham share here, a Vance McDonald share here, that sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. um, so so there are a lot of guys like that. I, I like that you bring up A.J. Derby. He's a guy who I have not drafted yet, but I should probably get him onto at least one of my rosters here. Just in general, let, let's get off of the, uh, the, the players themselves and talk more about roster construction in general. How do you approach an MFL 10 in terms of building a roster? Pardon the interruption, listeners. I'm sure you're all chomping at the bit to hear Josh's answer to that question but unfortunately we went way too long in this podcast and I'm gonna have to break it up into two parts so this is where we're calling it quits for today uh I'll get the second episode up as soon as possible so stay tuned for that uh in the meantime I want to thank Josh for his time and I want to remind you uh while you're still listening to this episode uh number 42 to uh rate and review the podcast if you would we'd appreciate that uh check out all the cool work at 2qbs.com get pumped up for The 2QB's draft guide, that is coming very soon. Uh, Draft guide dedicated to two quarterback and super flex leagues. On the next episode, you'll hear Josh and I finish up our conversation about MFL 10s. We'll also touch on King of the Hill 2, deep best ball super flex. And we'll wrap things up with a big discussion about the Scott Fishbowl. So don't miss that. We'll catch you next time on the 2QB Experience. Adios. what's up with that? <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no.